Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. He's bringing YMCA back. I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Bill Graham. Woo! And a special guest here today to talk about Ash's Purest White, it's Sean Gilman. Hi. Hello. Happy to be here. <laughs> Happy to have you. Uh, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell them a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am a film critic. I live in Tacoma. Uh, I write uh, a column for Mubi on contemporary Chinese cinema, and I've spent most of this year watching or writing about or talking about Jojenko movies. So. So you are the perfect yeah. guest to have on this episode. I, I am someone who has seen Ashes Purest White four times. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. Impressive. Just that you have the hours in the day to do that. Well, I'm a stay-at-home dad, so I no, have lots of hours in my day. <laughs> <laughs> As a working father, when I come home and after the baby goes down, I settle in with a like glass of milk and i just mainline an episode of royal pains before eventually going to bed <laughs> that sounds about right it's good times <laughs> anyway yes we're here today to talk ash is purest white this is the newest film from Zhajenka. how'd i do pretty good all right sweet <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into that, the usual nonsense up top, give us a comment and a rating on iTunes if you would be so kind. We actually, over the last month, got a couple. Um, many were very nice. One of them was someone who called us pretentious and took issue with the way that we talked about Avengers Endgame. No, Infinity In War. Infinity War. <laughs> um, I hope that that person will come back uh. and listen to us talk about Endgame in a couple weeks' time. <laughs> Anyway, yes, find us on iTunes. Give us a comment and rating. Uh, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, or you can email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com. You can also go to patreon.com and become a patron of this show for as little as $1 an episode. You get access to our super secret Slack channel, and you also get the opportunity to get first dibs on the cool raffles that happen at thefilmstage.com. We are also brought to you by Mubi the streaming cinema service where every day their fantastic curators bring you a brand new film to check out and you have 30 days to watch before it disappears into the ether. So that means you have a constantly rotating selection of 30 films to check out. They are still doing their Adieu Agnes Varda series. And so they have a new film on there. Uh, salute. Now this is, we were talking about this before we began rolling, how when you don't know exactly how to pronounce something, you should just go for it as fast and hard as you can. So here we go. <laughs> salute this Cubains. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I, pardon? <laughs> 
Yep, it's Agnes Varda, and it's on there, and you should check it out. Um, they've also got their adaptation series. They've got three volumes of Arabian Nights on there currently. And, of course, they have all the other great stuff that we have talked about previously that is going on, including their What is an Auteur series and uh, Quentin Depew's Reality, which, again, is a movie that Bill Graham owns on DVD. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. So if you would like a... Sorry. If you would like a free 30-day <laughs> trial of Mubi, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. And that is it for the front matter. So now we can get into our feature review, which again is Ash is the Purest White. All right, so that's part of the trailer for Ash's Purest White, again, the newest film from Zha Zhenka. And um, the most upsetting part about that trailer... <laughs> is that uh, it starts with a dance scene that is scored to YMCA in the movie, but they just uh, leveled over some sort of straight-out-of-the-box techno beat. Very I was going to say, that needle drop is not in the movie. <laughs> I guess they couldn't secure YMCA oh, for the marketing. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, wow. Anyway, we're here to talk about Ash's Purest White. We'll begin, as always, with our non-spoiler section before moving into the spoiler section. And because we are such gentlemen, guests first. So, Sean Gilman, why don't you tell us your thoughts on Ash is Purest White, a movie that you have seen four times? Uh, where, to, where to start? Uh, <laughs> I Obviously, I, I love Ash is Purest White. I, I'm a big fan of Jajanka. I think it's uh, it was my favorite movie of 2018. Uh, I saw it at the Vancouver Film Festival in uh, October. I saw it twice at the festival, and then I've seen it uh, a couple of times since then for various uh, things that I've been working on. Uh, I think my initial thought in watching it was that it was kind of Jajanka's 2046, in that it kind of encompassed so much of his other work into this kind of total statement on what he's been doing for the last 20 years. Uh, I don't know. I am, am curious what people who have not seen all of his movies or are at least not familiar with a lot of his work before think of it, because to me, it's something that builds on a lot of what he's been doing since, uh, the turn of the century, in addition to building on just kind of traditions in, in Chinese and, and Hong Kong film. So I don't know. So I can I can answer that for you. Um, I I feel like I admire this film more than I like it, and I did feel like as a person who has consistently wanted 
to see uh, Zhao Zhenka movies, but has just always missed them during whatever like narrow theatrical window and then not being able to find them on streaming. Um, Touch of Sin, Mountains Made Apart, like both movies that I was heavily anticipating and then just never got a chance to check out. And so watching this movie, I felt so much like I was watching work that stood atop of previous work and probably built off of it in addition to just feeling like I was missing a lot of the cultural context for what was being seen in the film itself. So while I, I found myself admiring many parts and many sequences in this movie, for me, it didn't hang together fully and maybe I won't watch it four times, but I definitely think that another watch after having like a full conversation about it may actually help to grow my appreciation for it. But that's me, Michael Snydell. What did you think of Ash's Purest White? Well, I'm I'm a little bit in the middle of you two in the sense that I I've seen this film twice. I saw it back at during the Chicago International Film Festival. Uh, it was one of the centerpieces there, and I I saw it then. And I had only seen Mountains Made Depart, and honestly, didn't really know what to do with it. Um, since since then, I've now seen it again, obviously for this review, but I've also seen. Uh, sorry, I've seen uh, Still Life, I've seen A Touch of Sin, I've seen uh, Platform. So I've seen uh, five of his films now. And, and I do think, like Sean, that this is very much a, a cumulative effort, e- even feeling like there is a, a, even cultural things in here that I, I am – I am still not even getting the full uh, picture up simply because I haven't seen some of his other films. But what I will say is that as much as as so much of my reaction to this film is based on like intertextual things and, and the ways that it returns to other locations he's dealt with in movies and the ways that it sprawls and kind of teases out uh, so many of his – kind of uh pet themes and passions like like pop music um or disco as we could say um i i still think that this does hold uh, on on its own i i think that as much as it is really cool you know knowing how this how the three gorges uh in still life like seeing that come back in uh ashes purest white like is really cool and it does give you another sense and perspective on a place uh in a totally different uh time period but um i i just found this really powerful as even a relationship drama like even as it a relationship drama like that's kind of peripheral to a crime film in the sense that it's not your normal gangster film you know it's not you know, the election series or like a usual Hong Kong action movie, but it is very much about like the effects of being around those people. And Zhao Tao, I I think just, I mean, for my money, I think she gives what will be one of the best performances of this year, last year, however you want to categorize this, just because it's so present in a way and the camera uh, requires her to be both so spontaneous and and like so uh, – and making so many moments lived in. And, and I just – I found her just mesmerizing to watch. And the last thing I'll say is I, I've heard some people who really usually like Ja 
be a little bit underwhelmed by this one because of its structure, which is, you know, it 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 purposefully deflates relatively early on. But I think that that deflation was oddly another thing that was just had a cumulative power to me that you've spent so long with this film and it just feels like it's getting unburdened as it goes on longer and longer. So yeah, this is, this is my favorite film of the year at, at this moment. And, um, I don't, I don't see it moving very easily. All right. Bill Graham. Woo. Okay. All right. That, that's a, that's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> So I've never seen any of this guy's films. Um, no, no, no surprises there. I'm sure for longtime listeners, like what you didn't do your research? No, um, <laughs> that is okay because I enjoyed the shit out of this movie. Um, by the middle point, I really the nice thing about a film of this length is that it can kind of mold. It can kind of mold into different things that it kind of wants to go down a little bit i'm sorry bill uh, did you just say the nice thing about a film this length and this movie is two hours and 16 minutes long when you were on the record as hating any movie sight unseen that is over two hours long again again this is this is disparagement against my name and against my my whole mentality my mentality bill, i am is, overjoyed right now my whole I, my whole mentality is that if your movie is over two hours long you have to be worth the investment and if you're closer to three hours if you're even close to that two and a half hour mark you got to be fucking amazing otherwise i'm just going to be like kicking you to the curb as soon as i can like if you're a, a a mediocre to good film but you are two and a half hours long you have wasted my time you 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 are a waste of space so that's that's my general thought is if a movie is under two hours long, I'm much more inclined to give it my 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 time and energy um, just because I feel like uh, we we need we need smaller shit. We don't need bigger shit. OK, so <laughs> okay. that's right. that's my general mentality. That's um, anyways, anyways. So uh, one thing I like about this film is that it gives itself the opportunity to kind of morph and transform in front of you and kind of try to almost go down a rabbit hole that you just, you know, in, in so often when you watch a film like this, you kind of know everything that's going to happen. You kind of expect everything that's going to happen. And there's a lot of wrinkles that this film throws your way that, that, I frankly was just kind of caught off guard by at the middle point of this movie. I thought I was maybe going to see just uh, a, a woman scorned movie where she was just going to go on a rampage. And I was so into that. And by the end of it, it, it transforms again and turns into something else. But I enjoy that. Like I really enjoy the, the transformation that this film kind of goes through and, and what it's doing, um, the way it kind of plays with time or not plays with it, just flat out like changes time. Um, I enjoyed like, it's just an extremely well acted, emotionally felt film 
in a culture that I have very little experience with that I'm fascinated by. Um, apparently there's just like shirtless singers in the middle of town squares that just like put on a performance that it's, that's maybe not very good. Like maybe not very good, but still, still happening. He's, he's got the red hair to match the red shirt and he's going for it, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated by by what's on screen here and I feel like it's it's incredibly well made and well shot and uh just worthy of of your time and investment. It's over 2 hours. Worthy of your time. <laughs> Bill Graham stamp of approval. <laughs> this is the most insane thing on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, are you speechless right now? I'm speechless because Bill just said like the great thing about a movie that's this long, and I just like my brain snapped in half because it's Sean, a- this is such a pattern. We love Bill to death, but this is such a this is such a pattern that certain films get over a certain time limit, and that's a that's an actual that's an absolute sticking point for so many things. For this to happen is just. It's it's magical. <laughs> this is history in the making, is what. You're well, saying I, right I, now. I I wonder if the episodic structure here helps in that it's not really one you know two hour and fifteen minute movie. It's three forty five minute movies. Sure. I just back to back to back. I do feel like that could be part of it. You you definitely get to experience that sense of oh okay where are we now who are these people like what are their relationships three different times in this movie and so that does help to break it up but also as bill said it does allow the movie to that that is part of that trans morphing that he was talking about as uh, apparently being something that he loves about movies that are over two hours you know i i just want to i just want to reiterate that <laughs> burning was one of my top films of last year it, it i was. loved it okay. to death and that movie's like 2 hours and like 30 plus so that that <laughs> movie's getting damn close to 3 hours and and it does not have a traditional narrative at all so it, it also it also changes halfway through though <laughs> yeah. yeah again again i i like movies that morph i like movies that that transform don't give me don't give Give me one movie. Give me two movies. If you're gonna make it two and a half hours long, so I want. Bill, I want you, my. I want my. Thing are you my looking butt. forward to Endgame in that way? Uh, like, oh, I'm sure that's gonna be two movies, right? No, it's <laughs> just gonna be one fucking long, long ass mess of a thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to towards the end, last last thirty minutes of that movie, like crossing my legs and just hoping to God that that I can hold it. So we'll see. <laughs> All right, good times. I want to get back to something that Michael Snydell, you talked about, how this movie feels like it's deflating. Okay. I'm curious what you mean by that. Do you mean that, like, the movie begins in a way that seems more stereotypically setting up an arc and then it kind of inverts itself and and slows down and becomes... I I don't want to say less interesting because that sounds like I'm being cruel to this film. But like, can you just go into a little more what you mean by that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think inversion is is a good way to put that. I I do. I do think it in very much like even in the case of Western and Eastern, you know, crime and gangster films, there is a certain arc that you expect with these stories, especially with uh, Lao Fan's character. Um, who who plays Gao Bin, who's just kind of, you know, this 
brash, you know, gangster wannabe. And, and like the ways in which this film – hold on. Let me be careful with my wording here because I don't – this is almost kind of part of the thing that I think is not worth spoiling um, I, I think the ways – the focal points of this film are not what you expect in terms of the, the the things that seem like they're going to take a lot of time or you're going to see events directly afterwards. You often skip right over them and just as likely there are events that seem like you wouldn't spend a lot of time there. But it lingers there, like and and that comes in not only the structure, but even like the the cinematic language in, in the ways that um, sorry, I, in the ways that uh, I I don't know. I kind of want to save this for spoilers, but I'll just say that within the first thirty minutes of this movie, something unusual happens. And it seems like you l- – let me save it for spoilers. So I, I apologize for putting are, you are, in no, what no, is no, apparently no, no, no. a very are, difficult are, position for you. I, are, you are you talking about when uh, the, the YMCA scene? Is, is that what you're talking about? I'm talking I'm just, about – I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm talking about two scenes after that where the film changes mm-hmm. and, and you realize that it's not what you think it is. Um, I, and I do want to say, Sean, you can hopefully provide a little bit of context with this. Is it the first 15 minutes that is actually uh, leftover footage from Unknown Pleasures? Uh, just the it's like the opening, like two or three minutes. Like it's, oh, it's, it's two, uh, okay. the the shots on on the bus. Oh, OK. The people on the bus. And then it there's like a, a hard cut to like a drone shot over the city. Mm-hmm. And yes. you hear this uh, this drum beat pounding, and that's the uh, that's the Wong Fei Hung theme song. It's uh, uh, you know the Jet Li movies, Once Upon a Time in China. Yes, yes. Uh, that's the theme song from that from that character. He's like the most popular like Chinese or Hong Kong kung fu hero. Uh, uh, he's the character Jackie Chan plays in the drum master movies he's the jelly character once upon a time in china and he has this theme song that goes back to a serial that a guy named kwan ta king did in the 50s and 60s where uh he played wong fei hung in like 70 different movies wow uh, and it's like incredibly popular and all of like these key stunt people uh in in like shaw brothers and and the 70s like lao karlong and wen Woping and and their fathers all worked on these serials Anyway, uh, uh, that's the the that drum beat, and then the song that picks up. There, she's Judge uh, House walking through, almost a like, magic show type like thing. Described, yeah. There's like a performing artist, and that's the song that's playing. And then you hear that drum beat again, uh, associated with her throughout throughout the film, and, yeah. and that's where that's coming from. But uh, but that's all original footage. The the opening stuff, and it's like a really low quality digital, which is how he shot unknown pleasures sure uh, that stuff is from unknown pleasures it, it is weird that you say that because the pans that were in that reminded me of still life and especially platform so it, it's really it's really interesting now knowing that it's from that earlier period um 
Yeah. yeah. And the, the character names are from Unknown Pleasure also. And and some of, of Zhao's, uh, some of her outfits are exactly the same. There's actually some repeated shots from Unknown Pleasures. Uh, so she's playing a character with the same name, but it's a different character. And sure. in Unknown Pleasures, uh, she has a relationship with a, like a young wannabe gangster guy, but not the one named Guo Bin. The one named Guo Bin has a different relationship, and it's sure. his best friend that Zhao Tao is in the relationship with. And then in Still Life, she plays, her name is different, but she's yes. looking for her husband, whose name is Guo Bin. So it's, it's like three different Guo Bins, and Zhao Tao is always... Or in Still Life, she's looking for him, and in Ashes Pure as White, she's looking for him, but in Unknown Pleasures, she's not at all. It's very confusing. <laughs> that is incredibly confusing. <laughs> and that well, is that kind of like, see, that, that I find all that fascinating. And I wonder, given that knowledge up front, if I would have found just another hook to help draw me into this actual story. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's all kinds of little hooks like that. Like the, there's the, uh, the, the, one of the other songs that they play a lot is the theme from The Killer. Yeah the the John Woo movie you hear it twice and it's more associated with Guo Bin than with Zhao Tao. Uh, but if you don't know that it's the song from the killer, it's just it's just a song. So, what is the Chow Yun Fat film they're watching as well uh, as the, a group? It's it's not the killer, which is which is weird because you hear the song from the killer while they're watching the video. It's a <laughs> it's a Taylor Wong film called uh, Tragic Hero which was the sequel to, uh, I can't remember, let me look. Uh, it's the sequel to like this ripoff of uh, A Better Tomorrow, and it's uh, wow. nowhere near as good. <laughs> <laughs> like it's really bad in, in, in the way that, that Guo Bin is kind of like a, a, a pale copycat of the, uh, the kind of Chow Yun Fat hero that he wants to be. Um, Interesting thing about that is that sequel actually came out before the first movie in the series. What? Yeah, they um, they they shot them at the same time. They put out the sequel first. It says that uh, Tragic Hero is followed by Rich and Famous. Yes, Rich and Famous is it. It's actually Tragic Hero is Rich and Famous two, but they released it like six weeks before Rich and Famous one. That is a That's... good name for a movie, by the way. <laughs> Tragic Hero or Rich and Famous. Uh, is is tragic hero rich and famous is the subtitle then no rich it's, it's there's there's a movie called rich and tragic famous hero, and then rich and, rich and famous, famous is, is called, yeah yeah okay it's the first film that was paradoxically <laughs> released after the second oh, yeah okay. it's it's one of the the things that could only happen in hong kong in 1987 but it's, <laughs> it's pretty hilarious well but brian i'm, I'm kind of curious as the person who seems like I, let's alienate you as much as possible. Do it. As the person who doesn't, who seems like they had some difficulty connecting with this. hated this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so is it, is it partly that episodic nature, like without getting into any of the references and, and, and a certain, even staying away from the, the cultural stuff for just a bit, like, can you just tell me what, what were the things that felt impenetrable to you? Or, or I'm putting words in your mouth, but <laughs> just trying to get a sense of, of where you were at while watching this. I am. Um, so I was on my couch. Um, it had been a long day. I had just put my daughter down and uh, I turned this movie on 
um since we were able to get screeners for it which is very nice and uh yeah i don't know like it it starts and um like you said it's that low res kind of hd video and um I, I i was watching it and i guess i just don't I, there was never a moment where things kind of clicked for me like i was curious but not invested in the story that was going on and I, every time something happened and I felt like I might be about to really like latch on, it would kind of jump and then we'd be somewhere else. So like all those time jumps that we have talked about, because this movie takes place over like a 16 year period, they kind of alighted over the moments that I felt like we're gonna be the most rich and and interesting and that i was looking forward to um they're kind of the moments you're conditioned to expect a little bit right sort of i also feel like they're the moments that would have given me like a greater insight into these characters because i would have seen how they reacted to those things that were happening to them and instead, I, I, I don't know. I just felt like really on the outside with these with these people. Um, I didn't quite appreciate or find any investment in their relationship, which uh, for a movie that is seemingly about that, <laughs> it's a, it's a problem for me. And I don't know if that's my lack of you know, being able to contextualize the kind of society or outsider like clan they're living in, or if it's uh, just an issue that I had with the way that the movie was made. I, it's it's kind of hard for me to know. I, I, I find it harder to approach my misgivings about a uh, a film from another country just because I'm curious how much of it is some level of like cultural alienation and just not understanding the subtleties of the situation that I might be able to better appreciate if I, if I knew them. Like sometimes I wonder how much of my love for the wire is just the fact that I lived outside of Baltimore and I find (laughs) like I have a connection with that city. And I wonder like, would someone else watching this show not give a shit about this like city of less than a million people that is legitimately falling apart and how everyone there sucks like and i it's very possible and so for this you know if i'm if i'm watching it and i just don't find anything particularly inherently interesting about the characters of their relationship i feel like i'm just kind of stuck on the outside because i'm so outside of the rest of the culture that i can't find a way in Does that help at all? <laughs> no, I, I think it does. I, I, I think it's. <laughs> I think I think, it, it's... I think it's. I think it's definitely less interested in their relationship than it is just in her character and her worldview. Yeah, and I, but I, and I still, I think that I had trouble latching on to what her worldview was, and I think part of that might be. I won't say the fault of the narrative, but just like because I didn't know where it was going, it was hard for me to clock which aspects of her personality and her journey were going to be the most important moving forward. And 
in that way, I just, I, I had to continuously force myself to reinvest in the narrative in a way that I don't think I would have to otherwise. And so I think with the hindsight of knowing the arc of the narrative, I might be able to go back and then retroactively find the little pieces that might give it the depth that would raise it in my estimation. I do think that her performance over the course of like the 15 or 16 years that this movie takes place is like phenomenal. Um, I it's this movie has is like the best physical representation of time on a person that I've ever seen without mm-hmm. having to resort to many of the tricks that a movie like this usually uses. Mm-hmm. She just like wears that time and her experiences within that time so damn well. And so the thing that really did keep me going to the end and, and leaves me, you know, as I said, admiring this movie more than actually liking it or enjoying it is her and everything that she is doing. I mean, just like phenomenal work and, and her griffs are incredible. (laughs) And you know, you know, like we love a good, I love a good confidence man movie and she's got that in spades here. So like, yeah, I don't know. I I wish I had a better excuse to give for the way that I feel on the outside of this movie, but it may just honestly come down to that. And it may it may unlock itself a little bit more, like you're mentioning on a second rewatch or or something like that. You know? Yeah, it's the same. It's you know what it feels like. It feels like the same issue I had with Phantom Thread. I was mm. gonna. Mention mm. that. Okay. Phantom, okay. This okay. Yeah, this movie is my response to this movie is the same that I had with Phantom Thread and uh, Inherent Vice. Okay, I I don't have that issue with Inherent Vice because I didn't like it Inherent Vice and I didn't want I didn't want to Inherent go Vice re- is great. <laughs> no, it's not good. Um, uh, it's it's bad Cohen's. Um, this. <laughs> I really enjoyed Phantom Thread, though, and I was able to see my way through it the first time I saw it, but it was also a very disruptive, like, viewing. Like, it was – I had no idea what it was going to be, and by the end of the movie, I was just like, well, that was not what I expected this movie to be at all. Awesome. Cool. I guess one – again, another metamorphosis movie, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't know. I I didn't have that issue with Phantom Thread, but I can definitely see why that film would put you at a distance and I can see why you would, why, why it might open up a little bit more on that second viewing. I own that fucking movie and I still haven't watched it again, but (laughs) I need to, I need to get, get on that. Just realizing uh, that those are both Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which like, I guess... This is a ridiculous thing to say, but that lets you know the level to which my esteem for this movie rests. Like, sure, it's it's so clearly well made and so clearly tightly controlled and so clearly, I mean, expertly acted and and the editing and just like the narrative. But like there there is, I think, an inherent difficulty to a movie that tries to operate so far out of the norm of what you might be expecting Especially when, and this is not the fault of the movie at all, but like the only promo image I'd ever seen for this movie was the part where she fires the gun in the air. And so I, it was up until like the day before when Michael finally said at some point, like, 
it's not what you're expecting. It's it's not like a, a ripping crime drama. And I was like, but the gun in the air. <laughs> I, mean, I should have said that, right? I mean, don't you think that? Uh, I, I I thought that it was fair to say something like that. I, I think some of the wonder if I would have been if it would have been easier for me to make that adjustment if you had not told me. In Are all honesty, <laughs> that's that's oxymoronic. That's, because that's wild. That's I think wild. at some point the movie itself would tell me that, and I think you inverting my expectations left me preemptively attempting to figure out what the movie was trying to do damn okay. it brian don't do that i'm blaming michael <laughs> this is it We're, I'm blaming michael. That's, that's an imperfect way to watch a movie <laughs> well sean I'd, I'd actually like to plug your great piece and movie that is making me think a little bit about this conversation where you did uh you you did 14 ways to interpret uh uh, 14 ways Josh. of looking at 14 ways of looking at Jajenko. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and, I don't know. I'm I, having read that or reread it recently and, and then listening to what Brian was saying. It, it is interesting, especially coming at him having, you know, seen only this film in his body of work. Like that has to be a strange thing in, in terms of. You know, is he a neorealist? Is he is he working in genre here? Is he interested in this being a musical? Like, uh, there is something really interesting here that you know is it's obviously coming at it from a completely different angle than your angle, Sean, because you came at it from a very academic angle of you watching all of his films. But Brian's somewhat coming into that same uh almost like inner argument <laughs> about what to make so I, i'm just curious whether you had any any thoughts about what he's what he's saying about this stuff i love it when um, i'm the only person to dislike a movie and the podcast inherently becomes let's try to figure out that guy <laughs> <laughs> well i think i think uh i think uh brian's reaction is is very natural um because the film is is designed to kind of confound your expectations like just when you think it's it's one kind of movie it it shifts into a different kind of movie and there's you know so many different phases to it and it's all i think it's all in a in a clear progression you, know, you were talking earlier about the the structure how it kind of uh, dissipates at the end i think i think that's a very usual structure for jajanka his his movies often start in, in a in a place of kind of equilibrium and then everything kind of breaks apart as the film goes along. And, and Ash, Ash starts with like this really exciting kind of very colorful, uh, fast moving, you know, kind of gang drama kind of thing with like goofy humor and, and disco music. And then it becomes this like one woman's, uh, kind of con man quest looking for, a guy and she does various grifts and then in in the final third it becomes something totally different and all of like that dramatic action is just kind of uh spread out and mundane and everything is gray and so i can i can see how that would be really kind of jarring if you have if uh if you're expecting one kind of thing I don't and know. i think that um like my favorite my favorite parts of this movie are the parts that exist almost in between 
the moment where you're getting what you expect and then it shifts to something else. Um, we'll have to talk mm. about that in spoilers. But like that was the weirdest part for me was that I constantly felt like I had just gotten on the verge of of being on the movie's level, and then that's when it would pull the rug and do another time <laughs> jump. Yeah, and I think I think I think this is intentional. I think it, it's it's supposed to it's supposed to make you feel that way because what he's what he's trying to do is is like recreate the feel of China in the 21st century, how just when you think you have things figured out and you understand the world, it becomes something else. And as China has, this is like his, his big subject, what almost all of his films are about is as China is modernized, all of these old ways of, of seeing and interpreting the world are becoming no longer valued and are being replaced by newer ideas or and newer, that's... newer technology, newer social relations. That's one of the things that I found most inherently interesting about the movie but that is the type of thing where like i sort of needed to like start jumping onto the internet to like look things up just because i'm not as familiar with the sweeping societal changes in china you know at the at the turn of the new century as i guess i would like to be after having seen this movie so like looking up mining for instance (laughs) yeah like the like the mining and i was like you know it's there are these questions of like, is that state owned or private? And then I was like, you know, it's weird because like, yeah, China is, is like a communist country, but they also have this, this private enterprise. So like, how does that work? Um, just the fact that she was on that boat, which I believe was around where the three gorges. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Like really, he it kept it kept I don't want to say teasing me, but it kept showing me these little glimpses of things that I just wish that I knew more about. And almost even what Bill was saying about the guy on the street singing, it's one of those things where I'm watching that and I'm like, people don't seem super weirded out by this. So I'm wondering if this is like a specific Well, we we thing. have people on our streets singing. Well, that was my thing. Like, but we I'll just say they're not they're not as good showmen as this guy. Like he was sure putting it on to a degree where I was like, I'm curious if this is a thing that we look at, like, you know, the person who's playing a ukulele with a hat out, like we see that and we're like, well, that's normal. Like, is this okay? But level but of ukulele... production value from their street singers normal? Like it's, well, it he, just... he, was, he was also like advertising the show. Cause later on she goes to the concert and sees yeah. him. Yeah. Which I was like, song. Oh, Hey, it's him again. <laughs> but, but hold on. Our, our, our street, performers usually don't have two two tigers in a cage either hmm. what, what's what's going on there <laughs> but would they if they could bill that's the real uh, question oh, well it, if, if you if you think of it as as like uh like a carnival or something like that where the fairs come into town or the circus mm-hmm. and and they're out there promoting selling tickets for the later show and then you know, she goes to the show. We don't see all of like the little details of her going up to a ticket booth or walking around the various yeah. exhibits. We just see her in the audience of the concert. But again, like uh, again, almost even that, like it's like a fair or something. Like we don't usually do those in a city. So it's it's it it almost made me want to go to China just to like understand it more and see this this place, like this this interesting. I don't know. Like it's, it's so different from the European cities that we usually see in films that we talk about. And it's one of the things that honestly, like I love about cinema is that it like 
gives me those glimpses and treats them with such familiarity that it it almost piques my interest more than if someone were to burst into my door and say, I just like came back from China and there's this crazy thing that they do. It's it's so much more interesting to see it as just like a natural part of the environment and to um to see the way that especially a character uh like like this one interacts with it. I think the other interesting thing too is that he holds on those scenes. So it does have a documentary documentarian quality, you know. Like you know, it's still shot uh you know and composed in a way that doesn't necessarily uh feel documentary like but uh, it, the ways that the scenes hold and um just the ways that it it is often uh held back and a little more detached does give you this certain you know uh anthro- anthropological quality to it, it even though i, I kind of hate that word a little bit because it sounds a little bit uh too much like a you know, looking at something under a microscope, but, uh, but still, I I do think that's a quality that is present or pervasive throughout all of his films. Yeah. He, he made, he made still life because he was shooting a documentary about a friend of his who, who was an artist and, uh, was painting at the site. It's in, uh, uh, Fangji, which is a city that was, or they were shooting in a city that was going to be flooded, once the three gorgeous dam was built. So the city was yeah. being like tore down and abandoned. So he was there shooting a documentary and then just liked the, the location so much. He just started making a, a fiction film and that's, and that's what still life is. Um, one of my favorite things about the the concert scene or about ashes, pure as white is that concert scene. The, uh, the footage of the guy singing in the concert was filmed in 2005 when he was making still life but her reactions to it were filmed in 2017 when he was making Ashes Pure White. That breaks my head. <laughs> <laughs> and he just and he just cut them together across a dozen wow. years. It's, there's a um there's a scene in Eraserhead that's something like that, right? Like the the shot of a guy opening a door is like 5 years removed from the shot of the guy walking into the room. I feel like all of that is, yeah, is very like unnecessary. Wells thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like, just go back and shoot it again. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> a, well, a, a lot of the stuff they they couldn't shoot again because uh, the city where they shot Still Life is underwater now. Yeah. So no, they have okay. to, to re- it's, it's recreate in, it's, a lot of it. it. Gotcha. It's in the Three Gorges. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's the, yeah, uh, the whole... Yangtze River, right? Yeah. 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 Interesting. See, I know okay. some things. We should we should get into spoilers though. I feel like we've been talking a little bit cryptically in terms of some of the narrative moments we've been talking about. Okay. Um yeah, so that's a fine idea. Um let us talk about spoilers. Uh for Ash's Purest White, which is uh, out in the limited release now. So I could I I was so upset when that guy who who was talking about the UFO experience tourism <laughs> turned out to be a fraud. Oh, you! I love that scene. Wait, you you didn't like see that? No, man. I was hoping he was for real, and I was hoping <sighs> we'd we'd get to see it. I was hoping that was a real thing. That was well, we did we get, did to, get see to see it. that. That's the weirdest part. <laughs> <laughs> is that the second or third time a UFO shows up in his in his film? So, by the way, Sean, like I know there's uh, still, still life in still life. There's a UFO. Yeah. <laughs> so. Sean, can you like is that why? 
<laughs> Do you have like a, a contextual little like side note you can give us about the UFO fixation? I mean, it's just kind of like a little poetic thing about how like alien the landscapes are and how it's all just like something out of science fiction. It's like it's a world you don't really recognize anymore. Okay. Like it, and, you know, like there's there's things going on in the world that you that you don't understand. And that's that actually is a moment that catalyzed in my head, like the fact that I really admired and liked what this movie was doing, but I didn't know if it was working for me on a personal level. It was like seeing seeing the UFO and I was just like, all right, so we're just going to take that. We're going to take that as writ and um, we're moving on. Was, was that an in-between moment you're referring to then? Everything after she left Bin and was on the train and then saw the UFO, I was like, this is it. I'm back on board, baby. Hmm. I loved the like I like I said, I loved the guy who was like chatting up everyone on the train. There was a part in my head that was like, I until I realized that he just owned a convenience store, I was like, I want a whole movie about this guy. I want a movie about the guy who is pitching and helping to create the UFO encounter experience, like adventure tourism. Because that seems like an insane idea, but it also seems like a place that I would go, in all honesty. Well, the world is about a uh, the world uh, or the world park in China, which is five different country or five different uh, continents that are represented in like a theme park. So that might be what you want. <laughs> are there UFOs there? I don't know. Then no, it's not it's, what I want. Uh... I clearly wanted the UFOs. <laughs> It's like one one third scale models of of monuments from around the world, like the Eiffel Tower and the Taj Mahal. Oh, I've Mahal. heard of that. Yes, there are there are animated sequences though. Whenever somebody sends a text message, the movie becomes a cartoon. <laughs> okay, it's like a like a really cheap flash animation. It's kind of neat. He's he's kind of a genius. <laughs> <laughs> That's. Incredible. Okay. Um, now that my brain is wrapping itself around that. Um, well, okay. So yeah, <laughs> Michael, you I, had, you, you were going to expound upon your deflation. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, well, I think it's, I, I think what happens with Ben, I, I'll say up front that I didn't, uh, I, I thought that was kind of unsatisfying the first time I watched that in terms of the main conversation they have in that hotel, as well as, or I'm sorry, I can't remember whether it's a hotel or whether it's his place. But either way, um, that main conversation they have, as well as then how that that follows and just how much of an asshole he is. Um, but the, the second time, it, it made a lot more sense to me, both about why she would ever potentially want this guy back, as well as almost the persona experience they have in terms of their place in the world. Like, I, I think that as, as Sean was saying, like um, the ways that it, uh, I, I think dissolve is the word you use, Sean, in your piece, yeah. but the, yeah, the ways that this film dissolves is something that makes it all, all the more, all the more powerful because even though, even though Zhao is is in a place of you know relative power compared to where Bin is, who's just 
or sorry, uh, Gao, who's just, you know, kind of ruined his life. And I did think it's fascinating that it sounds like he was kind of successful. He just doesn't really have anything of lasting value to show for it. So I, I think it's really interesting that as we're kind of talking about that there really is no no place for Galbin. Like this almost becomes like a meditation on like usefulness and like powerlessness. And, and I've heard many say that that type of ending, especially as it relates to what I would say is a much more like concrete relationship than other than other uh, Ja films I've seen. Like specifically in relation to still life, like the final scene is is very much about architecture and it's very much about the backdrop of China where this to me feels like the most concrete representation of what Ja has done throughout his entire career. So yeah, I, I just really like that it's just the absolute inverse and how Gao Bin just kind of disappears into nothingness. Like the world didn't know what to do with him, so he doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's kind of his own his own actions that have that have caused that. It's it's that they they begin the film sharing this this ideology, this uh, sure. belief about the way that they should live and and interact. The based on this this Jianghu. Jianghu means uh, rivers and lakes, and it's like the the world uh, outside of everyday society where heroes in like wuxia novels and gangster movies operate. But is it fair to say so, that's kind of a duality? Is that like wuxia and like, but then the other part is the crime, like the uh, like triads and things like that. Yeah, those are two very opposite like versions of that idea, right? Right. The uh, the the triads the the gangsters see themselves as wuxia heroes, but they're not because they're criminals. They're not like knights errant protecting the poor from the you know the evil invading uh, Mongols or or Manchus or or whatever. Uh, but uh, but it's this code based on on loyalty and and honor, and he she sticks the br- with that. the brotherhood right. Right, exactly, and and she sticks with that code all the way through. She she believes in it, and and it's like this irreducible core for her. Whereas for him, he is willing to adapt. He he changes. He he sells out. Sure, uh, and it leaves him empty. Whereas she still has this this like core of honor. And is in the small, like, not Domino's place, but the, uh, sorry, what, what is the... It's like, a, it's like a little club, yeah. Yeah. Mahjong. Yes, Mahjong, thank you. Yeah, it's, the, it's not the same club from the beginning then, is it? It is. Because we're, okay, it is. All right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why yeah. all the brothers are there still. And, yeah. Yeah, I, I just speaking of other... Who's, who's, who's the big asshole? The one, the one with the glasses. Man, that guy is a dick. How has he not gotten got yet? <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's okay. He ate dog poop or some kind of poop. <laughs> what a fucking asshole! Like in in the past and the present. Like Jesus, man, that guy is the worst. Um, what? Is, 
can we can we for a moment uh skip sure. back and talk about what is the word that means rivers and lakes Jean-Hoo. okay and and so the word literally means rivers and lakes but it's context yeah. is like a kind of demimond yeah uh the uh one of the 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 four great classical novels of, of china is called the water margin okay. uh, also called outlaws of the marsh and it's the story of these uh rebels uh during like the song dynasty era in like the 1100s who were standing up against government corruption but they were outlaws and the the water margin is like the swampy area on the outside of society. So it's like a it's on the margin and it's wet. And so that's kind of what the, like the Jang Hu idea is. It's like you have the city or your town and then you have like the river or the lake that's the border of it. And the outlaws live in the border area. Gotcha. Interesting. So the the Chinese title of Ashes Pure is White uh, translates as as children of the Jong Hu or children of the rivers of lakes and and that's uh Tao and and yeah Fen. interesting um mm. does anyone know why it was titled in english as ash's purest white joss said he just liked the sound of it okay <laughs> that is a perfectly fine reason to title a movie something they, they, they thought that because you know Jong Hu's not a, a well-known term in in english it wouldn't make sense to call it that so we had to come up with something else and he just he liked that sequence and and the thing and it had like a poetic ring to it so don't they kind of allude to that as well in terms of the volcano scene yeah yeah that, as well that's, yeah that's where it came from yeah just the dialogue in there yeah okay interesting and it's like you know it's it's relevant to to the film and that she is under like intense pressure throughout the film but she's pure at the end of it yeah just speaking uh, speaking as well of the we already talked about the grips brian so we we i, I think we should be grifts. what was your favorite grift you gotta you gotta pick one is it the miscarriage one is it the uh hapless horny motorcycle driver is it <laughs> um i gotta say it was definitely the miscarriage one i i just love how we see her fail once and she goes back to her seat and then decides no i can do this <laughs> i just uh, the way that that whole scene is, is, is shot is uh as a person lovely. who is a fan of of david mamet yeah that that was an awesome <laughs> scene for me because i was just like ah like she tried and she failed but she's gonna get up and do it again and this guy is gonna give her a portfolio for full of money <laughs> <laughs> and then she's just like do you know where she is and he's like no and she says all right we'll just call her <laughs> oh man yeah, yeah no that was a yeah. that was a good grift and then the and then just her her kind of uh vengeful con job on the uh the policeman where she's like hey this guy uh sure tried to rape me also here's uh my boyfriend can you get him for me <laughs> Yeah, she's clever. Like I liked like I like I said I really liked her as a character. Like her her um her spirit is just fantastic. And I loved when when he held her hand and said like this is the hand that saved my life and she pulls yes. away and is like I'm not left-handed. You don't even remember <laughs> which hand I shot the gun with cuz as he did that I was like she was definitely line. holding it in the other hand. 
Yeah, that's a that's a fucking beautiful moment. And and like what I like about that is the way that scene is shot is not a a scene of of the whole room. And so when she walks off a frame, you're like for me, I thought she just walked out of the room. I thought she was just like, fuck you, I'm out of here. And then I was just like and then he starts talking to her again. And I was like, are you? are you saying what you should have said or are you saying this to her now? And then, and then she walks back on screen. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm with this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like that's, it's a, it's those little things that I really appreciate in a movie like this, where they, they set up a static camera. That's, that's not giving you all the information that you necessarily want. And I'm not saying that he intended for you to think that she walked out of the room. Maybe that's just me kind of reading into it too much, but she definitely walks off frame and you're just like, where'd she go? Did she just leave? Cause like so many, like these people are so flighty and you're just like, I, I guess she just left. <laughs> like, like that was, that was a sick burn, man. Like, wow. <laughs> Like you don't even remember the hand I use. Like you, you, you think that like, I don't know, like their relationship is such an interesting dynamic that this film really kind of plays with because I'm not sure if you're supposed to necessarily fall in love with them as a couple, but them as individuals and that you can see why they would be attracted to each other and you can see why they would want to work it out and why they would work out. And then you also see that he is not quite the same as everybody else around him, right? If, if anybody else around him was given the opportunity to be with, is it Zhao? Yes. Yeah. If if anybody else was given the opportunity to be with her, they would hold her so tightly that that like this film would be suffocating. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, maybe she loves me. I don't know. Who cares? Like, I don't even think we really see them kiss. We don't see them be intimate at all. And so they share a cigarette. I yeah, thought oh, that was a they, nice they definitely share a cigarette. <laughs> yes. Um, that's that's for sure. But it's it's just those little things where it's just kind of left up to your imagination and that he just doesn't show that kind of a level of affection. And like even when uh the the new girlfriend is like, I'm his girlfriend, and I'm like, do you even know what that fucking means? Cause I'm not sure he does. Like <laughs> I was just like, uh maybe he takes you to dinner or something like what does that even mean to him you know it's just like okay i guess <laughs> yeah when when we meet them they've they've reached the stage of their relationship where they're so comfortable with each other they just kind of assume that the other one is is there for them and that's why it becomes you know all the more heartbreaking for her when he abandons her absolutely like yeah i mean You've seen enough movies like this where you do hard time for somebody and they're waiting for you when you get out, right? Like it's like there's – and not not necessarily with like a wad of cash or like, hey, like let's let's set you back up or anything like that. But like like just – just a solid like you did five years for me like thank you like i i you don't have to take an uber home like, <laughs> i got this one 
You know, it's just the like, least you could I, do is spare them the Uber trip. Yeah. Isn't his first response to that? I was in jail for a year and a half as well. Like his, that's his his uh, his first response. As in, like I didn't have time to see you. Yeah, but it's I mean, like, like you know, uh, she was in there for five years. Like, yeah, you have he was out for three and a half years. He could exactly, find a way back there. I mean, yeah. okay, we're okay. talking we're around it. Yeah, we're, we're talking around it. But Ben is a real piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> no, but I, I, I disagree. I, I think too it, when you're talking about years later too, when he's in a wheelchair as well, you almost think that he's going to, you know, be begging at her feet or something, and that's not the case at all. No, if he's anything, still an asshole. Yeah, Jao is definitely so still nice. a dick. Yeah, but I, I think it's. I, I think there too is it's kind of a, a stroke of brilliance too in in having. It, it kind of in, in his gang be kind of intermingled in that there are some people who stood by his side from the beginning. There's some, you know, young up and comers. There's some people who are, you know, posturing who, you know, they're not going to see him, but if he's there, they'll certainly be friendly. And I think the ways that that, that scene is staged, particularly where we see the guy with glasses again, is is really interesting, you know, despite the fact that he just threw perfectly good noodles on the floor, that that really made me mad. <laughs> uh, and what is what does he fucking say? You didn't bring it out in the order. And yeah. it's just like, OK, just rearrange it, man. <laughs> well, he's used to a certain lifestyle. I, I mean, like, uh, what yeah. a fucking dickhole. <laughs> God, I don't, I don't disagree at all. Yeah, <laughs> I would, I would love for someone to come on here and try to defend Ben. Just be like, no, I think he was right. Like you know, he's got some points. <laughs> I like that this movie doesn't spend that much time with them total, though. I, I really do think. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the the subversions and the ways that this, you know, wants to um, befuddle an audience, like even the very fact of 30 it, it, i i checked it actually it's 30 minutes in when uh Zhao is in prison <laughs> like it's incredibly early that that happens and mm-hmm. that we've shifted completely away the the only so like because he is such a uh i was gonna say worthless character but he's not a worthless character because he adds a lot to the movie because he is such a worthless human being i yeah. just kind of continuously <laughs> found it difficult to understand where her continued investment was coming from like uh even when they're even when they're together and everything is quote-unquote fine she's still talking about how his you know someday is like three years away and i was like so the cracks are already here in this relationship like when is she gonna realize that she's better than him and get the hell away from him well that's it's, that's that's the the code of loyalty right? yeah yeah. Even even though he's he's a dick who has like totally abandoned her when he needs her, she's required to help him, and she does. Yeah, she does. And he do, he doesn't appreciate her. He just ends up walking out again. Yeah, he's such a. Oh, I fucking hate <laughs> um, which again, like good work on him and the character, or the not the character, the actor and the film for making me have that kind of response to him because like. Ugh, like there's something low key about his shittiness too. Like he's just he's he's an interesting character. He's an interesting cat. Um, yeah, doesn't doesn't she say at some point near near the end that uh, 
she doesn't feel anything for him anymore just like obligation i mean yes. you've, you've seen the movie four times you should <laughs> <laughs> but yeah she does say that she's she's like i'm not yeah. i'm not doing this because i still love you or anything like this is just what i've got to do it also seems like she didn't she say i can ask this because i've only seen the movie once didn't she say that she's like helping him just to prolong his suffering <laughs> That could be too. I mean, but I are we also, talking about Phantom Thread again? <laughs> I just uh, I realized now that Phantom Thread is on HBO, so I may be watching that tonight. Yeah. So maybe my like three and a half will go up to a four or something. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Uh, I there are many aspects of this movie that I I like a lot, just in terms of the way that they do reveal character. For instance. She is afraid of the gun at first, but when she has to deploy it to protect his life, she is unflinching. <laughs> like, literally stares into the camera, holds the gun into the air, and lets off around, and just maintains this, like, placid, in-control face. Um, the, the face that has been on all the marketing materials that I've seen yeah. on Twitter and everything. <laughs> and well, it's such, it's such a great shot. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like the yeah. lighting, her outfit, and just the look of supreme determination on her face is ah, oh, it's like uh, you want to give it a chef's kiss. I, I love the shot right before that where he's his head is being uh, banged on the hood, and and just like uh, we didn't we didn't talk about this scene at all, but I I really think it's incredible that it's fought entirely with pipes and bike helmets, shovels too, like, yeah, and shovels. shovels. Yeah. Yeah, because like, the guns are illegal. Yes, yeah, guns are illegal, but it's still it's so different than what you expect. With you know, I, I guess maybe I, I haven't seen a lot of modern Chinese gangster films, but uh, I, it was just fascinating to me that you know not only is from an aesthetic level it does it make it that much more brutal mm. because it requires so many hits to you know really. Uh, you know really pummel these people because they're not the even driver. using the like the edge of the shovel they're hitting him with the flat of it <laughs> or the helmet <laughs> there's so much damage done with that helmet <laughs> which it makes me wonder like were they trying to kill him or was this just like a warning thing like it was but then you know they start banging his head on the thing and i thought for a while that they were landing his head directly on the hood ornament i did i, th I thought well. that too yeah like maybe they got one or two down, but I have to assume that it would take like maybe two hits on that hood ornament to kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. I was like when they first show Ben, when, when we fast forward five years and we only see like the back profile of him, I was like, Oh, he's going to have like a gnarly fucking scar on his face. <laughs> and then you see him and you're just like, this asshole looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, not I, even an eye patch or anything yeah. um oh there was something else i want to talk about in that scene but i can't i think it is it is just weird that like so obviously like the helmets because you're riding your bike you got your helmet why sure. not why not use it as a bludgeon but like just thinking of my own house <laughs> let's write <laughs> off the two <laughs> firearms that i own if i had to go out and kill someone i don't know that i would choose my shovel i feel like I have things that might be better. <laughs> well, shovel, it's 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 sturdy. It's you know you can use it in a variety of different ways. It can used to be used to deflect a blow or to inflict one. I guess so. Are, are knives illegal then, Sean? Do you know? <laughs> no, a... I, you see a lot of like machetes 
things like that. I was about to say, this yeah. would be a very tasteless moment to insert a chopsticks joke. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's also, uh, it's like a mining town. There's lots of shovels around. That is a good point, yeah. I did find it interesting, too, that there's onlookers who are just like, huh, th- this is this is happening right in front of us, and we're not doing anything about it. <laughs> there's, there's like 12 people, a crowd there. Michael, I, I just find it interesting. I'm curious if you saw someone getting pummeled with shovels, would you step in? No, I'm not going to step in. <laughs> I might go to call somebody or something. I mean, I it's 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 a, it's a gang fight. You, you wouldn't get involved, and and the police obviously showed up because they arrested her. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm not going to be the guy who has to come in and be like, "Yeah, I called." There's just there's just something so like nonchalant about how they were looking, like. Uh, Saturday night, another gang fight. Like I think that if you live in a place where that, I'm not saying that's a constant thing in a, in that <laughs> sure. particular city, but like my, so did I tell, I, maybe I told this story. Anyway, it's quick. Uh, my wife and I were watching Goodfellas and she was like, there's no way that this is like, was this like, I know this is based on a true story, but it can't have been like this. And I was like, let's call my parents who grew up in Queens. And I was talking to them and I was like, so Ma, how, how, uh, how like big was the mob in Queens? And she was like, oh, they were everywhere. <laughs> I was like everywhere. Right. And she's like, yeah. Oh, Frank Frigenti. He used to come into the doctor's office all the time. And he saw one of the girls was pregnant. And so one day he comes in with a box that like had the name of like some local children's boutique on it. And it was, it was like one of the boxes they ship things to the store in. And he's like, yeah, Grace, take this box of baby clothes. And she's like, oh, thanks, Frank. And then her and my dad got in an argument about which street corner exactly four people were gunned down on. <laughs> and they weren't talking about it like, oh, the scary gunfight. It was just like, what was it? It was the one that was in front of the pharmacy. It's like, no, it was in front of the wall bombs. It was in front of the grocery store. It's like, no, but the grocery store used to be a pharmacy. And my wife just had this look of horror on her face. <laughs> I asked the question that I didn't want answered. Yeah, because again, it wasn't like, remember that time four people were killed? It's like, let's just see if we can actually remember where that happened. Uh, the best part of that story was Frank Virgenti coming into the doctor's office with his uh, his indictment papers. <laughs> and uh, saying like, Debbie, look at this. The people of the United States versus Francis Virgenti. Every person in the United States versus me. <laughs> <laughs> And I was curious, so I looked it up, and I was able to find a story about Mr. Frigenti on the New York Times website. Uh, apparently, it was like $400,000 worth of stuff stolen from the airport. Wow. <laughs> also, a couple of possible murders. So anyway, that's just a long-winded way of saying that if you live in a place where that kind of stuff happens, you learn that you just step back, and if you don't get involved, you'll be fine. Can we get your parents on for a, a gangster episode? When we talk about the Irishman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe. Because uh, Gotti lived in the, my uh, grandmother's neighborhood, and I think uh, Henry Hill did too. Oh, great. <laughs> what a colorful neighborhood. Howard Beach, baby. Queens. <sighs> my God, I would love to get my grandmother on here for that. She'd probably be even better. Anyway. Um... <laughs> So what, talk about Ash's purest white. I think we're I think we're nearing the end of what we want to say about this, considering we started telling anecdotes about 
gangsters, you know. So this this, this podcast I didn't just know like the movie transformed. <laughs> transformed. Yes, we're <sighs> an hour and fifteen minutes in. That means it's time to start the third act, wherein we will jump forward ten years. Michael will be in a wheelchair. Bill will have died unceremoniously off screen. Uh, <laughs> are there any? Are there any? Like I don't. I don't want. Like my my gangland anecdotes aside, uh, was there anything else that people wanted to bring up related to this movie or a specific part of this movie that they liked best? Sean, I'm curious. What was the point during this movie where you realized how much you loved it? And was it during like which which viewing was it during? Like, what was your emotional uh, journey in viewing this movie? Oh, it was pretty much right away. I okay. mean, I I'm I'm a sucker for the Wong Fei Hung song, and it's like two minutes into the movie and it's there. <laughs> and then just all of the musical choices in that first section, I uh, I was so excited. Just the I... the cha the cha cha dancers. I love the cha-cha Oh, dancers. they were great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, are, I was you, super uh, curious during the YMCA dancing scene to see if people in the background would be doing the YMCA hand motions. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. It, it, it was funny because, like, you see them dancing and you can see kind of Ben is just kind of, like, just kind of moving around. And then his, his fucking gun falls out and he's like, well, that's a, that's a fucking bummer. And then, all right, let me party file. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then he's just kind of like shaking his shoulders and then they're kind of doing the, the back to back kind of thing. And then you're like, and then once it like really gets into it and then they start saying, singing the why. And then all of a sudden you're just like, Oh, they're actually doing the hand motions like no he he's he was playing possum with this he's he's into this <laughs> yeah i did i did after watching this movie i had to wikipedia the ymca song what about what just, what did just, you find like, out about it there was just a part of me that was like it's incredible that they made an entire damn song about the ymca and how awesome it sure. is sure and um, apparently, just for anyone at home who's interested, like they were sitting around in the studio and one of the members of the band said, what the hell is the YMCA? And one of the guys knew and explained it to him. And he was like, oh, my God, there's a song there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. the That's a terrible idea. It's like if you were just like, what's the Salvation Army? After like seeing one of the Santa Clauses and someone was like. Oh, you know, it's like a resale store and their profits go into helping like the homeless and people like get back on their feet. It's like, all right, I've got a song brewing and it's going to be a dance hit. <laughs> so Sub- Salvation Army was on the cutter room floor is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> There's they a village people. They had almost a song about it. the goodwill. <laughs> and a song about the Knights of Columbus. Okay, they could have done a whole album. <laughs> oh, boy. What's, what's the... Uh... Meals on Wait, Wheels. Is, is, is it, is it the Knights of Columbus? What's the one uh, with the the triangle? Um, the Illuminati? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not. It's not. It's not an actual triangle. It's the uh, the Masons. Damn it. Yes, the Stone Masons. There you go. <laughs> I am sure that there are actually a bunch of songs about the Freemasons, and they're almost all about how they control the world. Um, yeah, I, I I really am looking forward to revisiting this movie because I do believe that, especially like I said, after here after being on this podcast and Sean 
God bless you. Your encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge of so much of the marginality of this movie is is yes. definitely already turned some of my, I won't say my opinions, but my appreciation and understanding of some of these scenes. So yeah, um, well, I think uh, see more of his movies. They're, oh, they're I, worth going back and 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 tracking them down. Uh, I think he's he's one of the two or three best filmmakers in the world. Yeah, today. I am. Um, I I mean, I can I can. F- almost feel that and so i am interested to go back and see some of his other films uh, especially as i said earlier a touch of sin and mountains made apart i mean it's one of those horrible things is available on netflix actually uh which one i think mountains made apart is still available on netflix i'm not sure fantastic uh i may have to do that then right after i rewatch fandom thread on hbo (laughs) this is like one of those things where there's just not enough time in like the the world and the sure. the 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 especially because I we do this podcast and so like every week there's a new film I have to see mm-hmm. and um if I don't have like the energy at the end of the day to devote to a new film like I'm not going to I don't want to like waste my shot on it so like the last week I've been going over like 20 years worth of films that I've already seen just because I I want to watch a movie, but I don't want to like shortchange a, a different movie, like a new movie. Maybe one day you don't have to watch Triple Nine again. <laughs> I haven't watched Triple Nine in three months. So wait, what? That's too short a time. <laughs> but again, Triple Nine is one of those movies where, like, I know I can put it on and only half pay attention while I'm folding laundry. You know, like it's, it's, it's the, certainly like the, a laundry movie. <laughs> it's like the one night a week that I get for a new film. I do have to start like pouring some energy into being like, okay, I'm finally going to watch, you know, a touch of evil. I'm finally going to watch the host or uncle boon who can see his past lives and like really recommit myself to like getting out there and seeing some of the more, you know, important world cinema that I just miss every time we have to do another fucking Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our review all. of Endgame coming in two to three weeks, whenever that movie comes out. The woman who was promised to kill Michael Snydell will be on that podcast. It's going to be great. Sean Gilman, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Ash's purest white. That, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, no, you like I'm not to slander any of our previous guests, but you have brought so much specific and important knowledge to this that the concept <laughs> of having talked about it with anyone else is just frightening to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, like I said, I spent basically the last three months working on Jajenko. So I got, I got a lot. Excellent. Are you tired of him? I, I am. I really am. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I, I love, I love him. I could, I could talk about this movie for another, you know, two hours. I just, uh, I I really need to watch other things. Who is your next filmmaker life. who you want to deep dive into? Uh, John Hillcoat, Triple Nine. <laughs> uh, I have a movie I'm supposed to watch tonight because I have a review due tomorrow of uh, Master Z, It Man Legacy. Oh. Uh, it Man movie. Is that a fo- the fourth or the fifth? It's, uh, uh, it's a spinoff. So it's oh, the it's fourth spin-off. one in this series. The actual Ip Man 4, I think, is supposed to come out later this year. But this is a spinoff with the bad guy from the third one, uh, Wen Wopeng's directing. Anyway, i got to watch that tonight. And then after that, 
I'm going to put something together on Stephen Chow. Oh, um, nice. A lot of Stephen Chow movies. Awesome. But also Endgame. To I'm to very excited for Yoon. Endgame. <laughs> I, got to, I, I got to talk to Yun Won Ping. That was, uh, that was a great time. <laughs> He, he, of course, had to be like through a translator. Why are we doing this right now? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I'm also excited for Endgame. I, I watched all of the, the MCU movies this year in chronological order. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm curious. Not which... all at once, though. It, it took a couple of weeks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's good. You said this year. So I was like, all right, that's three months. That's doable. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, which is your favorite? Uh, uh, Ragnarok, I think. Okay, I, yeah. I really enjoyed that one. One that's, of the it's, two that I haven't seen. That's near the top for me too. It's one of the the few with a somewhat distinctive sensibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I for sure. That. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out before ending. Yeah, I like I like the Spider Man movie too. I liked Infinity War also. So. Yep. All right. Well, that is it for us today. Uh, as always, don't forget to become a patron of ours by going to patreon.com slash show and give us your money. Also, don't forget, uh, we are brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. And you can get a free 30-day trial of Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. And uh, yeah, that's it. So let's tell... The fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time sean gilman why don't you tell people where to find your work online uh i run a website called seattle screen scene that covers uh kind of independent uh loki releases that play in the seattle area uh, i'm also on twitter at the end of cinema and i link to everything i write there so all right bill graham uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can find me on the Slack channel. All right, Michael Snydell. You can find me on Twitter at, at Snydell while I'll be uh, practicing my best YMCA dance. And uh, on you got to practice the YMCA dance. <laughs> you don't know how bad at dancing I am, Brian. That's good. <laughs> uh, I've been writing a lot on Letterbox uh, about. Ja this week and uh, I got some Claire Denis before uh, her new film which comes out uh, next week uh, in my area so look for some reviews of some uh, Claire Denis films on my alright excellent and of course you can find me on every single social media site out there at Brian J. Rowan writings and reviews found at thefilmstage.com and brianjrowan.com and um, you can find every episode of this podcast also at thefilmstage.com. So, that is it for today. Uh, tune in next week when we're talking about something. I have no idea. Leica? Leica, maybe? Missing, Missing Link? Link? Maybe. I'm, I'm down to make that call right now. I want to see Missing Link. Let's do it! All right, Let's, we're all talking right, about <laughs> Missing Link, the newest film from Leica Studios. <laughs> This is such a professional podcast. We are just so serious about this. Um, anyway, so yeah, join us next week when we talk about Missing Link. Um, but until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Let her face at first just go sleep. 
turn.